Hi, my name is Lila Turner and you are listening to the Becoming Relationship Ready podcast series. Here we'll be discussing the twists, the turns, the ups and downs and the wins and fails of finding love and connection. Each week, I will have a different guest share their experience and relationship stories. I'll want to know what are their stumbling blocks, what have their blind spots been, what have their relationship patterns been that felt unbreakable. And I'll also want to know what are their relationship hacks, what have they discovered about themselves and relationships that has been a game changer for them. Welcome, Colette. Thank you so much for being willing to talk with me. I am really looking forward to seeing what's going to come out of these conversations because I'm tr- I'm learning now that I could have known someone for a number of years and I'm discovering that in these conversations, I'm learning things that I never knew. So either points that I'm a totally suck as a listener or I, I live in a lot of assumptions. So I've been filling in the blanks. I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out of this conversation. So, Colette, so you are based in Edinburgh, and you, I think of you as my friend who worked in property. Your passion for property, it's not development, what is it, property investment. You, you and I both share an intrigue for buildings and ooh, what could they be. Absolutely. And I'm a bit more gung-shy after having burnt my fingers on the last place we bought. But that never has seemed to dampen your spirits and enthusiasm and kind of love for buildings. I don't know, how many years was it that you ran that business? 25 years. 25 years you were in the property investment business. Um, So I love hearing you talk about properties and investments because you talk about it the way that, in a way, I like to point people towards in terms of their dating life. You don't take it to it seriously. You have a very light view of it. You're like, well, does it make sense? Does it feel right? You don't have to think of things forever. I mean, it's all in there. I have to come to you and learn to how to date my property life. And I had to come to you to learn how to date full stop. Well, um, so I think of you in terms of property because you come so alive when you talk about it. But you sold your share in that business a couple of years ago and you are now a full-time coach. You're also, you know, you have um, a giving back element to a lot of what you do. So you're on at least probably two boards, I think. But one of them is for Entrepreneur Scotland, which is around supporting. Well, tell me a little bit about your work with that. So Entrepreneur Scotland is an organisation here in Scotland for entrepreneurs and people who want to think more entrepreneurially about their lives and about their business, whether it's in private sector or public sector. And we do internships every year. We send between 150 and 200 young people normally around the world. Um, So they're they're at Scottish universities. They don't have to be Scottish in between third and fourth year. And they go for eight to, to 10 weeks around the world to do internships, which opens their eyes to a whole new world and whole new possibilities. But obviously, because of COVID, uh, that's had to now be more virtually based. 
And then we run programs for startups, people that want to start businesses, people that want to scale up businesses. And then we connect people in the community so that they can help each other, peer-to-peer learning and help each other and mentor each other through their business lives, really. And has it been rewarding? Like, do you feel like you've learned a lot? Do you feel like you've brought a lot? Like, how's it been? Because it's, is it two or three years now? It's actually 10 years because I just had a significant birthday. And my last significant birthday, um, I was just put on the board of that. It was then called Entrepreneurial Exchange. And I have learned so, so much. I can't even tell you. And it's so fascinating because you kind of start off and you go on this board and you're and you're really in awe of everybody that's there. And then in the end, you're kind of running it. The whole thing is very strange. It's a big leap when you think about it like that. But when you just do it all incrementally, it's amazing. So you meet amazing people. You learn unbelievable things. You learn things you don't even know because you've, you don't realize you're learning it because you're just absorbing it. And you can, you know, really help that next generation do the things that you had the opportunity to do because people helped you. So that's got to be great, right? So you also do something called paying it forward with your coaching. Do you want to tell me briefly about that? Yeah, sure. When I had my business, we had probably about 140, 150 people in 10 locations. So I was very involved in the people and the welfare of the people and how things were for them running our business, essentially. And so I got really interested in coaching. I had some coaching and it really opened my eyes to the power of that. I kind of went on a crusade to find out something that worked for me and ended up right here at One Thought and learned, you know, what I've been learning, you know, with you and with Aaron. And so when I started my coaching business, I thought there was lots of people who really need this help and this work. Wouldn't it be cool if every entrepreneur and CEO that paid me, that they knew that I would be paying it forward for somebody who was either starting a business or a young person who didn't have the funds or whatever. So that's what I do. And so for every person who pays me, I have a client who, um, who promises also to pay it forward. So hopefully that's a, it's a good virtual kind of circle of, uh, of help and support for people. Do you ever get stories of people coming back and talking about how they've paid it forward? Does that happen? Yeah. And it's a really lovely thing that, you know, it's such a lovely thing. And it could just be giving somebody a book or putting their arm around someone and saying it's going to be okay, or maybe you should go and speak to Colette or whatever, whatever it is. And we're just doing something kind for somebody else, really. I've always been interested in that ever since I saw that movie. And if I ever won the lottery, Leela, I would get Kevin Spacey to remake it with a happy ending. I haven't seen the movie. There's a movie called Pay It Forward, yeah. Okay, now I have some homework. So um, one of the things I'd like to go back to, so I kind of like to zoom back in a bit of time and talk about, tell me a little bit like when you left school, what did you think you were going to do? What were your interests? I wasn't really very great at school and and I never really knew why I didn't never fit in at all and I was really bullied at school so I couldn't wait to leave to be honest um, I didn't really get very many O-levels three or maybe four and it was only later actually in my 40s that I found out that I was slightly dyslexic so that whole not being able to spell wasn't didn't mean I was stupid it just meant that you know I just couldn't see it that was a really fascinating thing because 
I was always really creative and I always did workarounds with things. And, and I realized that, you know, I'd be told that, you know, you can't do that. And so I would be like, well, no, but I want to do it. So I'd find a way. And I always thought I was a little bit, I don't know. I thought it was kind of almost not a good thing until I met my people, my entrepreneurial people sort of later on in my life and realized that actually that's what happens when you're dyslexic. You have to kind of tap into more of your creativity right from the get-go. But my parents had been self-employed really all the time. I remember them. My elder brother had gone into their business. You know, I went into their business and my little brother went into their business. And in fact, my brothers still run that business. I think my elder brother's just retired, but my little brother still runs that business. But of course I was a girl and, you know, we're talking about 45 years ago, Really, girls just stayed on reception and just did admin work and, you know, secretaries and what have you. So I kind of went and did that. And then unfortunately, um, being the feisty little person that I am, I managed to get fired from that. Fired by your own parents is quite a feat, I can promise you. They'd been part of an estate agency, which I'd worked at whilst I was at school on a, as a Saturday job. So I went off and found myself a a job in an estate agency in the local place where we lived in Lancashire and worked there, basically. And then I moved to another place called Clitheroe uh, in Lancashire and worked in another estate agency and ended up, ended up actually, and this, this doesn't sound like a really big deal now, but it was a really big deal then that I ended up being manager of two of their offices. And I don't really know how I did that. I mean, I don't know how I got the job in the first place because I couldn't really type. So I think that what happened was they really liked my spirit so that they got me doing things that where I didn't actually have to do any admin. So I started to do viewings and then my boss didn't like working in the evenings and weekends. And so I'm like, well, show me how to do what you do and I'll go and do it for you in evenings and weekends. And I remember dragging my desk into his office and saying, I think I'm going to sit here now. How old were you? By then I was probably in my late 20s. And then I met um, the the father of my children, because I sold his house and he was moving back up to Scotland. And a year later, I came to Scotland too. How old were you when you bought your first investment property? I had James, my son, when I was 33. And so he was two years old, so I was 35. And was that yours? I mean, was it something you were doing with your husband at that point? I know you ran the property business together. Were you initially doing it on your own? Initially, I was doing that on my own because um, I couldn't really go back and do the job I did before. So I, I thought, well, what do I know? I know about property. And so I bought property and did it up, got a mortgage and, and rented it out. And then he lost his job. He was working at a big organization here and lost his job, got made redundant, actually. And he had a, he had a year's salary um, tax-free. So it was like almost having two years' salary. And he was really keen to get a new job. And I was like, well, do you know, we've got a real opportunity here to do something with this. And buy to let wasn't really a thing then. It it sounds ridiculous again now, but it wasn't a thing. It was very, very new. So we were way ahead of the curve in that. So we kind of threw all our money into the pot and just went for it. Sold our house, bought a broken down townhouse and lived on building sites for years until we bought this, this house and obviously then we lived on building sites for a bit longer. 
you know, we were learning like on the job, employing people, renting out properties. People were coming to us saying, can you buy us a property? There's a big Scottish diaspora of people around the world who are really keen to to own a piece of Scotland. So it's not hard to tap into that, really. If they've got somebody they trust on the ground that can find them something and, and do the work for them. It was just perfect timing and a, a really great sweet spot. And it grew really quickly. Going back to those young years, tell me if I got this right, but when you started first started buying property and would go into meetings, people would assume that you were the secretary or someone there to make tea or something. When I came to Scotland um, 30 odd years ago, it was, um, I couldn't even literally get a job other than a secretary or a receptionist. It was like going back 10 years in Scotland than it was in, in England. People dismiss you or, or just speak about you or speak over the top of you or speak as though you're not even there. So that's been a really interesting time, actually, to sort of climb out of that and to, you know, to take the lead in some of those things and say yes to some of the, you know, put yourself in, a, in situations where you are feeling very uncomfortable, but standing up and saying things and saying your piece and doing that. But I think running your own business and actually, you know, maybe I spent the first 10 years sort of behind the scenes. But then once I came out to the front of that, there was kind of no stopping me then. Your motto is to proceed until apprehended. To proceed until apprehended. Always. If we can go kind of go back, because I wanted to ask a little bit about your experience of relationships. How was it dating in teenage years for you? Was it smooth, easy, enjoyable? What did it look like for you? I don't think it ever is. Is it smooth and easy? I'm not sure there's a teenager that's ever lived that would say that. I think, you know, I had a nice relationship when I was in school. but I I don't remember it being smooth or easy at all, actually. And, And I think that, again, it's probably hard for people to imagine, but you know, back then, really, there was a trajectory that everybody was on. It was kind of like a, the nuclear family. You know, you this is what you do. You build a life. Well, my parents were part of that. You know, you work hard, you find someone to be with, and, and you grow together and you build together. And so I think that probably looking back, I was looking for a life rather than a, a love. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it really makes sense. It's funny because even if you didn't grow up with the idea that that was supposed to be trajectory, you can still have ideas about what you think it should look like. How long were you married for, Colette? 25 years. That's a bunch of years. I mean, in your description, you in a way grew up, you were still growing up and we're all still growing up, aren't we? But what did it feel like to kind of be single again after all that time? Well, it felt very free, to be fair. We had a really great relationship at the start, for sure. And, you know, we've got two wonderful, wonderful children. I mean, I wouldn't change a thing. And I I think maybe the last 10 years we're together, we just were completely different people. And we, we just discovered different things that we wanted. And so, you know, really, it was a long time coming. And when it happened, it was just a great relief, honestly. But my daughter was only 10. So she's 19 now. And she was only 10. So... I think I felt that I owed it to her just to really not pursue dating as a thing at all because I wanted to spend my time with her. 
And uh, I, and luckily, I, you know, I had a friend um, who now lives in New Zealand, Laura Pringle, who smacked me around the head one day and went, you've got to stop this. <laughs> it's time to stop. You can do that and and have a lovely relationship. And it kind of woke me up, really. And how much before you came and joined Relationship Ready was that? I think it was maybe 18 months, a year before. And, you know, I kind of toyed with a, a few different things, but I still wasn't very comfortable at all about any of it. And then I met you. Well, you know, so we met through work and I was surprised when I got the call from you because you sort of really created an idyllic life yourself. So I was surprised when I got, you know, a call from you saying I want to join the program because... From my point of view, you were flourishing. You lived in a really lovely house in a gorgeous part of town next to an incredible river. I mean, it was so idyllic. It's like tumbling walls and it's epically, gothically romantic if you haven't been to Edinburgh. And I knew that whenever you talked about your friends, you talked about them with a lot of loyalty and affection. I knew that you'd had this really gorgeous friendship group where you could really be yourself and just kids that you just adored. And it just looked like you were really, really content and happy and engaged in everything. So I was quite surprised when you said, hey, I was like, oh, out of the blue. And I was really curious when we had our first, you know, pre-programmed call to find out, well, I've learned now, I can't just assume why someone's coming. I wanted to know, why are you coming? What do you want? What are you hoping for? Because it's not always exactly, it's not actually even sometimes anywhere near what another person wants. So tell me a little bit what you were hoping to get when you showed up day one. Well, I'd kind of decided that I wasn't very good at relationships. And then I decided that that couldn't be true because I have friends that span back like my whole life. So, and actually, I was just really curious to find out more about how how people have successful relationships. And I just didn't know how to do that. I didn't even know where to start. And when I heard that you were running this program, I was really curious for myself. I was also really curious for my clients because I felt like I couldn't talk to them about relationships either in a way that I'd like to. And I thought maybe I'd get insight around that. And obviously I get to hang out with you for some weekends and talk to you every week. So that was a major bonus. I really was just really curious to find out what was stopping me, I suppose. I think uh, for our call before the program even started, some thinking started to fall away. I don't know if you remember that, but I know at least day one, sitting down on the retreat, I think I remember you kept saying, oh my God, I've made that up. Oh, I made that up too. Oh my God, I made that up as well. It's like you were sort of shedding all this mental thought that was just crumbling and falling onto the floor, totally useless because it wasn't making any sense anymore. And a lot of that was around being, you know, what you thought was dateable, being dateable. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Because I think there's a lot of people that will be relate to those thoughts that they think are really true. Oh, I had cast iron thoughts about that. You know, I was definitely on the wrong end of 50. And so, you know, men my age don't want to date women my age was my experience of, you know, friends that I have. I'm definitely not a size 10 you know, there's so many things that, that I was a successful businesswoman. And so nobody likes that, apparently. You were so great, though, because you said, well, I know you. And if you showed up like successful Colette to every 
situation in a relationship, then that would probably get a bit tiring. And then you said, but I know you and you're goofy and you're funny and you don't know which way is right and left and you're kind and yeah, you're, you're successful and you're a businesswoman, but that's only part of what you are and, and lots of other great things you said to me. And I was just like, wow, wow, that's so true. That is so true. It felt like you gave me permission, really. With you, I worked out that I was making all these things up then it just felt really silly for them to be barriers anymore. So one of the things that really made me fall off my stool, because I hadn't heard of that before, because I live under a rock, obviously, but like I didn't know that as a woman you could be you know, insecure that you're too successful. And then it's like it helped me piece together all of the stories friends have told me where they earn more than their partner and how that's a conflict or when they're off doing a lot of business things and their partner feels like they're not you know, present or whatever. And I was like, oh, there's a whole dialogue that goes on. So first of all, you can be insecure that that's true and it turns out it wasn't true. But that was such a shock to me that you could, you could be insecure that you were too successful. Tell me just a little bit more about that, because that really had my jaw open. I think that's probably more to do with that pre-programmed idea about men and women, actually. Maybe from way, way, way back. I don't even know. Or maybe it's a product of the relationship that I'd had. Because as I got more front and centre in my previous relationship and more out there, less that seemed appealing. Maybe I just had that experience and I translated it into, well, that's what everybody must think. And now on the other side of that, I absolutely know that's not true. So I had literally just made something up for whatever reason, cast ironed it as though it was a fact. And that had really stopped me stepping into what is now, you know, the most amazing time of my life. So I'm so grateful. God, because I remember even being in school, and this is so sad, but I gave really good ideas to this boy that I was in love with in uh, design technology. We would make things out of metal and plastic and wood. And I was so in love with him. I gave this idea and he won a great, huge award because it was a really good idea. I wanted him to like me, so I gave him my idea. And I also didn't want to somehow outshine him. It's so... I mean, this is like at age 14 and I'm looking back and like, you know what, you know, go to have a talk with yourself, go talk with yourself and talk yourself out of that. Do you think before you had that insight, you would unshine yourself around men, like play down your ideas or play down your voice in any way? I think I must have done because I think that when I had this coaching, I don't even know when that was, two thousand and eight maybe it was business coaching it wasn't it wasn't um, anything really personal at all um and and what was said to me was that you know I needed to sort of come out of the shadows and get into the limelight because uh, the business really needed me to do that that could be a bumpy ride and it really was a bumpy ride but I hadn't even realized I was doing that I was just tucking in I just thought I was doing the work and just getting on with it I didn't think about it like that until it was pointed out to me. I suppose that everybody's the same, though. Sometimes you don't know what you're doing. It's not visible to you until it becomes visible. I can only think it's conditioning because young women now don't feel like that at all, which is great. Mind-blowing, isn't it? These thoughts that we live 
by, and the only clue is the subtle feeling we have when we make ourselves smaller mm. or whatever the thought is. And I'm listening now and going, oh, my God, I think I still do that in some ways, which is all on me. But it's subtle, right? And, and, do you, and one of the things that's been incredible about working particularly with successful women is kind of pointing them in a direction to really trust their voice. And I noticed that when I have something to say and I'm ultimately trying to not be too loud or undigestible or cause any waves or I have thinking about it, the way that the, what I have to say comes out sometimes is over-aggressive or awkward, like just super awkward, you know? And when I'm really at peace with what I have to say and I'm really, really, I trust myself, it comes out smoother and clearer without the friction. Yes, I think that you're really onto something there. I think that honestly now I trust that I'm going to do and say the right thing. And if I don't, well, I don't. (laughs) And that's okay too. It's kind of living from a different place inside of you. It's kind of like living from a more contented, easy feeling rather than the overthinking things and thinking, oh, is this right? Should I say this? Will they think I'm silly? You know, and I'm not saying that doesn't come to me sometimes, but I don't really give it much airtime I mean I think that was one of the most beautiful gifts I gave myself was to not to not do things perfectly and that sometimes I wouldn't get it right I'm allowed credits for that because it meant that I didn't reel into this sort of self-loathing oh that sounded so stupid I'm like well you know what that's okay everybody does sometimes they nail it and sometimes they don't when Aaron was first learning this work he got sent out to like a really big client and it was a really big deal. Like everything about it was big boy pants, you know? And he was thrown in because they kind of saw that he highly had some talent in what he was doing. So they threw him into this massive, massive client. And he went and did a big presentation and it bombed. Like it sucked. I mean, I, I say that from him telling me that it wasn't good. I mean, in his mind, it, everybody wasn't captivated and moved and really intrigued. And it was just flat. So, you know, my description of that is like, it sucked. And then I'm talking to Aaron on the phone and he's like, yeah, it didn't go well. And I know he was crushed for a moment, but then he kind of let go of that and came back to, okay, what do I need to learn and moved on? And I'm like, wait a second, come back and sit on the naughty step. Because if I'd done that, I'd be on the naughty step for six months in self-loathing. That's where you have to stay. How come you get to get up? You have 17 seconds of that didn't go perfectly. And then you're up and you're back in the game and I remember being jealous and really kind of somewhat angry (laughs) and I really remember that I was thinking god that's always an option but it took me years to realize I'm allowed to come off naughty step quicker Mm -hmm. and maybe possibly not even sit on the naughty step if I don't do a perfect job that again is so profound and what I know for sure is when you run a business things are always going right and things are always going wrong you know, you might like lose sleep over it, but then you've got to bounce back in the morning and there's the next thing's happening and the next thing's happening. And so you don't get to indulge that so much. And if I've learned anything from that, it's everything's transient. And the things that this time last year that I might have been lying awake at night thinking about, I don't even know what it is. So I don't see the point of lying awake at night this year thinking about anything. You're much more in service when you're present. And I really saw that with my kids. I could see when my mum was guilty, she stopped being present, so she stopped being a parent. 
And I remember when my kids were little and if I'd get mean or intense or shout, I wouldn't put myself on the naughty step. I'd look for the keys to the dungeon. And then I remember thinking like, actually, what's most in service to them? And what was most in service to them was to pull myself out of guilt and be really present with them. Yeah. And, and I think that that being in service to whatever it is you're doing, whether it's your business or your children or just the sport you're playing, whatever it is, I think that that's, that's where the real magic happens. So I'm going to swing back into your romantic life because I, I want to have some time to ask you about this. So at some point during the time we worked together, so the program was a couple months long, through one of our conversations, and I think this is a really interesting point that I don't, I haven't heard talked about that much, is you started talking about this guy in your life. You'd known him. He turned up at a training. And you're talking about him. And I have this sort of like, I don't know, thought kept occurring to me. He likes her. He likes her. And like we're sort of, I don't know, 15 minutes to the call. And I said, Colette, I think this guy's interested in you. And you shut me down and you didn't believe me. No, I didn't believe you because I just didn't think that was a possibility that I just didn't think that would be a possibility full stop. Um, I don't know why. I can't even tell you why. It was just, why would anybody want to hang out with me? Why would, you know, any of that? And there's no reason for that. There is absolutely no reason for that because there's plenty of people who want to hang out with me, but it just romantically, that was, felt like a closed door. It was literally under your nose. Yeah, very sweet. Okay, it doesn't sound like he was like massively aggressive, but making it subtly clear enough. So fast forward however many years, he's now your the love of your life and you're living together. He is. He's the love of my life. He's my soulmate. He's amazing. He's amazing. He's just the kindest and he's the funniest. He's just, he's amazing. Honestly, he's just, and you know him, right? So you know this is true. Um, but he's amazing. He's just amazing. And we, we have just such a lovely relationship. And what I know for sure is if I'd not come on your course, I maybe not even have been in a relationship with him, number one, but actually kind of almost more importantly than that, I don't think we'd have had the relationship that we have. I think we had two weekends. This was when you could do things in person, but we had two uh, weekends in London and then we had weekly calls and coaching calls in between and it was so fascinating learning about how to have more ease in a relationship so you know I'd spent a long time at the end of my marriage being quite grumpy and I think that I don't know I didn't want to bring that I didn't want to bring that part of me into this relationship at all And it was so fascinating. And it was Susan that said it to me. She said, you know, the goodwill that you have for your children. And I was like, yeah, I totally get that. So they can do things and you can be upset in the moment and then you can be like, get over it like really quickly. Well, if you have that for your partner, then then you're really onto something. And I was like, hey, that just makes total sense. So instead of things being annoying, they're funny. I can totally see that. I remember Aaron coming home once when the kids were really little and I was just so sweet. They'd spill something on the floor or pee on the floor or whatever it was. And I'd be like, hey, honey, can I help with that? And he'd come in and put his papers in the wrong place. I'm like, what are you doing that for? 
<laughs> you know, 15 years later, I would get there that, that actually being having goodwill would be what would give me the good feeling. It would give me a lot of nourishment in myself rather than I'm not letting anyone off the hook. I'm just not choosing to live in resentment and a sort of score system of, of how many times someone else has mucked up, or, you know, who owes each other what. But um, finding things funny that I have to talk about. Can you tell me about the bathroom hole story? The hole in the wall in the bathroom. It makes me chuckle whenever I think about it. Oh, yeah. Well, so Stu's going to move in now. So we need more storage because he has a lot of stuff. And I don't mind him having a lot of stuff. I just don't really want to see it. So we thought we'd get a new bathroom and um, there's a place where we can build a dressing room. So we thought this would be a really good idea. Anyway, I'm lying in the bath one day looking at the ceiling and thinking, do you know, we could take the ceiling down and make this into like a vaulted ceiling and then and then we could do this and do that and do the other. So I sort of breeze down, I'm chatting away and I'm like, I really think we could, you know, we could take that ceiling down. I think that would look amazing, wouldn't it? The next thing I know, he's there. There's this like hole in the ceiling of the bathroom. And we were only at the talking about it stage. So clearly now the ceiling of the bathroom is totally ruined. Anyway, I decided just to think it was funny. We keep trying to discuss measurements for the dressing room part of what we're doing. And he's there with a tape measure. And and then at one point he said to me, I just can't believe you asked such a stupid question. (laughs) And I'm like, I think that's a little bit disrespectful. And then he goes, Claire, it's the physics. At which point we both just burst out laughing and now it's gone into folklore. And so if we're ever like doing something that that is just kind of getting to the edge, we just say it's all about the physics and that just seems to be funny rather than go down the contentious route. The bit that tickled me pink was when I think, you know, one of your kids said, Mom, what's he doing? When they said, oh, and your reply was something like, I don't know, Chuckle. It makes him happy. That's right. It just makes him happy. So like, leave him to it. Just for the more people out there who are thinking, well, that's all very well, but what if they've dug a hole in every single wall in your house? I mean, that's not the situation. This is just no. things here and there, and you'll have wisdom to know about that. But it's starting to sort of not sweat the small stuff. I thought my job was to be micromanage every single detail in order for things to work. And I've always loved and respected your ability to take things in your stride and step back and see the bigger picture. A bit like you do with houses. You step back, you're kind of like, well, how do you feel about it? Not, oh my God, I don't know about that tap fitting. I don't know. We're not buying it. The taps aren't good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think I've been really fortunate in my life to have had perspective even when I was younger. So there's something about and maybe I've, I've just learned to do this. My initial reaction normally would be, you know, that intuitive kind of idea is a good one. But sometimes that does, it doesn't really work like that, does it? It doesn't, you know, you can kind of get into overthinking things and making lists about why things work and why things don't work. And now that I can see that that's not really helpful, if I don't really know what to do, I just don't do anything. I just kind of step back and wait and see what occurs to me and um, I've never actually had that let me down. One of the things that you've talked about quite a bit since we've worked together is how you are utterly comfortable being yourself with Stu 
being really able to be grumpy, happy, tired. Because that's one of the things we do focus on is, are you able to just be naturally yourself, like be every part of you, not just this squeaky kind of people pleasing, you know, whatever version that we make up that we think we're supposed to be in order to make it work. Tell me what it's meant to be all of your humanness. That was maybe one of the things that I really massively learned when we were all together doing relationship ready. And that was, I think you have a great saying that, that being yourself is an upgrade. Michelle Obama came to Edinburgh and, uh, and she was speaking at an event and we went and I remember her saying about owning, like owning your history, you know, owning who you are. And it, I think all the things combined in that, I think it's really hard to pretend to be something that you're not. And actually, why do you need to anyway? What I've kind of realized over time is the more I am myself, like in business, the more successful I was. And I hadn't translated that into living, right? Into my romantic relationship, should I say. So my friendships, I'm myself. With my girlfriends, I'm totally myself. I suppose at the start of that relationship, there's a tendency to sort of try and, you know, be fully made up and whatever. And I thought, I can't do this. I can't do this. I just can't do it. I just need to be who I am. And funnily enough, when I relax into that, I'm actually, I think I'm nicer. I think I'm kinder. I think I'm more fun. Maybe 5% of the time I might be grumpy. But all he does is just make me some toast. Because you seem to have, I would think, the most humour around with, with him. I, you find the most things give you a giggle and kind of get you sort of in a warm, relaxed feeling. Like You seem both very soft around each other. And I know it doesn't mean you don't have moments where you're like, oh, my gosh, you have so much stuff, or oh, my gosh. Ooh. But you're having this orientation. As it, it feels like from the outside that he's also got you know, really confident and relaxed and at ease and slowed down and really present. Absolutely. And I think I would say, I'm sure if he was sat here now talking to us, he would say that he is himself. You know, he lost his mum last year and he gets really sad sometimes. And, you know, that's fine. I just give him a cuddle and or I leave him alone or whatever it, it is that I think he needs. I don't know. It's just, it just feels easy. There's no point scoring. There's no, you did that. I did this. I don't actually even know why, other than from my coaching, that if I show up completely present and I show up in a good feeling, then actually people around me change. And I know that. And then when he's up in his head about something or he's he's got a lot going on or something's not going well or whatever, I have much more compassion for that than I think I probably would have done without knowing how it all works. And that makes a massive difference because something, you know, something that may have escalated in a previous relationship into something that wasn't very nice or, you know, wasn't a nice feeling or was a really bad atmosphere, it just doesn't get there. doesn't go there. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have our moments, because we do. It doesn't happen very often, and it doesn't last very long. But mainly, you know, I think Susan said that her and her now husband decided they wanted to live in love and happiness every day. That's what they do. They live in love and happiness every day. And nine times out of 10, or 99.9% of the time, that works. And I love that. That really settled with me, because 
I could see that in previous relationships, that's not what I was doing at all. I was like, oh, what's going to go wrong today? Or what's going to happen today? And actually, that's not how I feel now at all. Part of I feel like my job here is outside of kind of falling into a lovely feeling listening to you is to think about sort of the devil's advocate of people who haven't had an easy time who might be thinking yes but so two things occur to you one is I think some people might be thinking you just found one of the good ones what do you say to that well I think I could have found a good one and showed up like a bitch and then I wouldn't have kept him we wouldn't be here so I think that's one part of it I think that it took us a while to get in step together and it took us a while to, to find that groove, as it were. I can't say what the other side of this relationship is or is like. What I know now for sure is the only thing I've got any, any jurisdiction over is the way I show up. This would have been a foreign concept to me a number of years ago. Like, seriously, like no one has relationships like that. One of the things that's been really intriguing for me working with people is seeing what it looks like to have a voice and sometimes things you're not going to be okay with a hole in the bathroom wall because there are going to be times where it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. How does that play out? Because I think for a lot of women particularly saying no or I don't like it in a way that they're comfortable with or don't struggle with, you know, feeling like they should be giving, should be nice, should be reasonable. But there's always going to be times where something just doesn't, you don't want to do it that way or you're not cool with that going that way. Or how do you handle times where I suppose you have difference of opinion? Oh, absolutely. Because we have completely different styles of doing things. Well, do you know what I've noticed is it depends on what kind of state of mind I'm in and what kind of state of mind he's in as to whether we can have that discussion and it have a conclusion, actually, that's meaningful. And I think that being nice doesn't mean you're a pushover. And being kind doesn't mean you're a pushover. And so, you know, there's things that are okay and things that are not okay. I think anybody who knows me knows that I'm... You know, I'm quite definite about a lot of things. And I mean, I'm making it sound like a bed of roses. And quite honestly, in the last three years, there's been a lot happening. You know, I have sold my business, which took a long time before that. You know, we had a lot of problems to sort out before we got in the business, before we got to the point where we could actually do the deal. So that was, you know, pretty stressful. Sue's mom was poorly for a really long time and then passed away. You know, it's not like everything's been really straightforward at all. You know, we've we've got four kids, so there's stuff crops up all the time around that. So this is not about living in a bed of roses. This is about sort of respecting each other and actually respecting each other's boundaries is what I know he likes and he knows what I like and what I think's okay and what I don't think's okay. We literally talk about like everything. But we'd probably rather have a conversation about something like that than than fall out about it, I think, in truth. And sometimes we just have to agree to differ. Sometimes it takes me longer to get there because I'm obviously I'm right and uh, and obviously he's right. So sometimes that's just, uh, well, we just park that for now and, and talk about it at an, a different time. Last question, Colette. What would you tell your 16-year-old self? 
I was definitely a very serious um, 16-year-old and uh, clearly was, was really ready to be older before it was time to do that. And I would definitely say to relax around that because everything was going to be fine. And, you know, I know you and I have spoken about this before and I would tell her to explore living more from her heart, from her feeling than living from her, her head, you know, like her intellect what was the right thing to do, actually feeling like what's the right thing to do is much more uh, useful. It's a much more useful way of engaging with the world. So when we've talked about this before, because I know how ambitious you've been, you know, really driven, and I said, well, where does following your heart fit alongside ambition? Do you remember what you talked about? Mm-hmm. I think I still am really ambitious and I think I was ambitious then. You know, I was brought up in a, a family that talked about business all the time and I thought ambition was all about business and about doing well in the world. And now what I know and what I wished I'd have known then was the kind of businesses and the kind of enterprises that are here now that are much more about social impact and much more about you know, doing the right thing and taking care of people and and all those kind of things. And I think that it wasn't even a concept then. And so I think that 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 would be something that I think I might have taken a completely different direction in, in what I wanted to do. But I'm still really ambitious for, you know, what we're up to every day, how we can do more in the world and be more to the world. I'm still ambitious. It's just I'm ambitious in a different way. But I'm probably most ambitious now about having this lovely life and being with Stu and the kids and everybody, you know, just just getting the most out of what's available to them, to what's on offer. Thank you so much. Really lovely talking to you. And as I predicted, I would learn a lot of things that I missed. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or stories you'd like to share with us, you can contact us at info at relationship-ready.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you did, go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep up to date with the most recent episodes.